Welcome to the Experts Speak, a service of the Florida Psychiatric Society. I'm Abby Strauss, and thank you for listening. Elaine Rotenberg is a psychologist and the clinical director of the Albert Jewish Family and Children's Service within Jewish Residential and Family Service Program in Palm Beach County. She runs an extensive program to help those with mental illnesses who need to live a full life but also need some supervision but also at the same time to be as independent as possible. I asked her to join us today because this program has been functioning for many years and it is still quite successful. Thank you so much for being with us. We all want to learn from your model. So let's begin learning about it. What's your mandate? A little bit of history. And then what model under which do you operate? Well, the program has been, our residential program, to understand it, has really been part of a larger organization, a larger human service agency that served the community for over 40 years. And then within that program, about 20 years ago, we got into the business of working with people with disabilities who needed some kind of residential option. And it really started because we would be visiting older adults in their homes and we would find that in the back room was the 60-year-old or 50-year-old or 40-year-old adult child that had either a severe mental illness or developmental disability for whom the family had made no future plans. And at that point, some of those families came to us and said, well, what's going to happen when I'm no longer here? And really that historically is how Jewish Family Service here got into the business of doing residential services at all. We started at that point, we actually started with a group home and then we started a second group home and at the same time there was a mom of a 30 some odd year old woman who had she had a developmental disability and she said I understand that you're in the starting to get in the group home business but I want my child to live in an apartment I like apartments I don't like group homes and we started looking at the idea of how we could again the least restrictive model have somebody that needed some kind of support be able to live with the supports they needed, but not in a 24-hour group home. So at the same time that we were starting our group homes, um, we began our, what we fondly call the apartment program. And that's been going on for about almost 20 years now. It's a very interesting notion because traditionally, and I'm just going to focus more on the mental health issue, uh, the patient with the mental health issue, but obviously it's broader. Mm-hmm. You are speaking to a segment of our society that perhaps is not ill enough to need hospitalization, but cannot comfortably be taken care of at home, either because they don't have a home, the parents can't do it, they need more. And that seems to be, at least from my experience in psychiatry and in social work, a piece of our social priorities that we don't spend enough time on. I'm, I'm impressed. The program is here for so many years. What seems to be, what makes it work? I love that question, so thank you. There's a couple of key things that make it work. One is that, to your point, this segment of the population, there is a segment of the population, particularly people that have severe mental illness, that really need structure, support, oversight, and monitoring of their medication and socialization. Regardless of what their label is, we see that when things go south for these 
folks, oftentimes it's because they've stopped their meds, nobody's monitoring, and they go through that revolving hospital cycle. So there's a couple of things that make this program work. One is that it is not a time-limited treatment program. In looking at other programs around, what's different is that this program is a residential option. This is the way I think of it. It's a residential option for people that need structure and support and monitoring and prompting and cueing in order to function at their own personal best, at their own optimal level, whatever that's going to look like. Now, what that means is, is you say, if it's not a time limit, it's not a treatment program. However, it's attached to a larger social service organization in which there is psychiatry and mental health services and, if necessary, psychological testing and all the kind of supports and counseling and all the support that program actually, that those individuals in that program need to kind of support their best level of functioning. So what that means is that these folks in our program, we have some folks in our program that have lived in our residential apartment program for almost 20 years since the beginning of the program, and they will continue to need that kind of support. And what that kind of support means is that every Every resident has an individual care coordinator. They all have an individualized program plan. They're living in their own apartments, but we've created the structure so that they have 24-hour support in that apartment community. And then there is, within walking distance of where their apartment community lives, is an activity center that we've built out in a, basically like a strip mall. So I think about it as like the student union. You know, so, so the residents are living in apartments in a typical community with about 400 units. And within that apartment community, there's maybe 25 right now or more adults that we have who are living in their own apartment. So they're living next to typical neighbors, but they have the support that they need. And then they've got the activity center that they can then walk to so that they have a home base, if you will, in terms of like checking back in. It, it's a little tricky to explain. I don't know if I'm... I'm well, you're, you're getting to the point that, that it's a complete program, and that's really like anything in life. If you look at the particulars, it gets complex. Let me ask you a question. You said 24-hour support. Does that mean nurses? I mean, one of the biggest problems... No, no, no. no, no. I'll, tell you, I'll tell you what it means. Please. What it means is, is that in order to be in this program, you have to be able to be safe in your apartment, to live in an apartment by yourself through the night, okay? But as part of that apartment community, we have an apartment that we rent that we keep awake staff in through the night. Think about a college model and then think about a the RA. There's the RA's room down the hall. So we have awake staff at the apartment complex, right, through the night in a separate apartment with a respite room in that second apartment. So if you are an adult, let's say that you are paranoid schizophrenic. You have a diagnosis of paranoid schizophrenic, okay? Let's say you're having a really particularly difficult period of time. We've learned that mental illness doesn't just go away like at 10 o'clock at night, you know? So, you know, you, so through the night, instead of having an acute episode that's going to wind you up going to the hospital or calling 911, you've got your supports right there. You can come spend the night in the respite room or the staff person can come over and hang out in your apartment. We can do bed checks, if you will, even though it's an apartment complex if we need them. It's very individualized because you can't lump people into a group. Everybody's, particularly with mental illness, everybody's picture is just a little bit different in terms of when and how they're going to need support. Do you offer formal monitoring of medications? Oh, I'm so glad you mentioned that. We administer the medications. That's the key to the program working. That was the third element. It's not a time-limited treatment program. There is individualized care plans 
and we monitor, administer, and maintain oversight of all the medications. Because in psychiatry, in medicine in general, one of the biggest problems we have is compliance. Correct. And, you know, that probably should have been the first thing I mentioned because in order for, and that has been sometimes a sticky point with families because even if somebody has been taking, quote, taking their own meds for years, one of our non-negotiables is that we administer, monitor, and supervise the medication. So all of our staff are, are trained to administer medications according to state guidelines. And all the medication is kept centralized at our activity center, of course, under, you know, lock and key and how you have to do it. And the residents have to come to that central place to get their medication. So that also helps with the isolation because obviously everybody's also different. And let's say somebody that's got a severe social anxiety who doesn't typically want to come to all of our activities, right? At least it assures that our staff are going to see them one or two times a day. Great. So that's a piece of the program as well. And then the other piece of the programs, there's a in that central space, we also have life skills classes, and then there's a full activity schedule for activities in the general community. So they'll go to theater, and they have a better social life than I do, <laughs> you know, that love, you know, and they will you know, so be involved in the general community. Then we also have a vocational component. So we work with a program that actually we contract with to come and do job club and helping our folks either get volunteer jobs or paid employment whenever possible. The the other element that we provide transportation. So you're really full service operation, so to speak, in trying to really help these people integrate themselves in their community and with their lives and with their families and so on. Correct. I would assume that just to get into the program, people have to be a bit more stable than not. You're not like a hospital. We're not a hospital. That said, given the nature of the illnesses, we do have residents that, for example, wind up needing to go into a hospital or go back to a hospital. Typically, I won't take somebody straight from a hospital. Usually, I'd like to make sure, you know, we have a pretty extensive admissions process, and I think because it's not a short-term treatment program, it's always best for them to have had at least a short period of time post-hospital that they can be able to, like, maintain and that they, they want to be in the program. We're not a locked program. I mean, that's the other thing, too, but we certainly have our hospital admissions. Now, we've got folks in our program who've been at all the major psych hospitals, long-term psych hospitals, you know, the McLean's and the Shepherd Pratt's and those hospitals, and who are really with us now for years without a hospitalization. It speaks so poignantly to the reality that when people are in a good environment, they can blossom. We sometimes have to give them a bit of an artificial environment. That's okay. And a little structured, that's okay. But I guess this is one of the elements that makes work. What about the family? Is there an equal mandate to bring the families involved in the treatment? Yeah. Without without the families, I mean, the families are the... What happens with residential, for particularly with mental illness, is that it tends to be kind of fits and starts in terms of where these adults are going to live. So just like you have to oftentimes try different, you know, medications to get it right, these families are doing the same thing in terms of having their adult kids live someplace other than with them. We spend a lot of time at the front end. The admission process can take well over a month. Sometimes it's more than that because we meet with the families. They usually tour the program. The potential resident tours the program. They meet with me as the clinical director. They have an evaluation with our psychiatrist. Everybody has 
I wish with a psychiatrist, even if they have outside psychiatrists, I always speak with wherever they've come from because they're usually coming from another program or they have another provider that they've worked with. And we have regular quarterly family meetings. It's a challenge because families are as different as flavors of ice cream. And so there are some families that want to... The residents all have like a monthly treatment planning meeting and then there's for sure an annual family meeting that everybody comes to. There are quarterly meetings. There are some families that want you to call them every week. How's my kid doing? There are some families that want to drop their kid off and never see them again. I will tell you that in terms of a mandate, if we have a resident come to us and say, which I've had in the past, and said, I want to come to your program, but I don't want you to speak to my family ever. I won't accept that person to the program because it just doesn't work. We need to have some communication with with somebody out there in their life. What strikes me as interesting, and as I say this, I'm not quite sure where I'm going with the question, so I'll preface it with that. Here, at least in Southeast Florida, we have a plethora of sober houses, and these are not all properly run. We know that. That's why there's so much going on legally. But the better drug rehabilitation programs actually parallel you in a lot of ways. I find that interesting. So it just intrigues me that when you pull together everything the way you are doing it and you realize that there is a chronic problem, people need to listen to what you do and hopefully model themselves to try to give these people the best chance they can. I've always been impressed with the complexity of the the globalness with which you try to incorporate the person and their family and their lives. It's a long, circuitous discussion there, but that's what strikes me. It's an important discussion because the secret ingredient, if there is one, which I was speaking to a family member actually about this. And she said to me, you know, you take some of this for granted, Elaine. And I said, what are you talking about? She said, well, it's not just your residential program, but the secret ingredient is the fact that you've got a comprehensive agency of 28 different programs that are there in the wings, if you will, supporting these families. And so the model of our whole organization, the philosophy, if you will, bleeds into the residential program, which is that families are complex and life is it has roads and there are developmental transitions that families go through. And if you can, for every one of these residents at the front end, we make sure that they also meet with an attorney to talk about life planning. Like, what happens if tomorrow mom and dad drop dead? What plans have been made? And and we hear families time after time during the admission, and we ask them that at the admissions process, and then we'll introduce them to our life planning program where they can have a series of seminars where they can start addressing some of those issues. Because sometimes for families, they'll say, well, you know, when we're not here, his sister's going to be responsible. Well, I will tell you something. That means absolutely nothing. Saying those words and really the mechanics of what that looks like for that sister's life, for the family financially. What happens when sister now has kids of her own that are taking her, you know, and so on and so forth. So we even try to involve the siblings because a lot of our parents, and we love when siblings will come to the, the family meetings because we know that it is a comprehensive picture. And you said it right. You said that to give them the best shot. Well, the reality is, is if you get, my background is in developmental psychology, and I I love the work of Vygotsky, and and in my mind, I often think about this, which is that if you get the right combination of structure and support and prompting and cueing and all those things, which includes oversight and monitoring of the medication and building in socialization, and people can't do that for themselves, and having the, if that person needs mental health treatment outside or if somebody needs to go for something else, if you get that individually wrapped for that person, they can thrive. 
and it seems like it should be so simple. It also takes work and it goes back to the basic core philosophy that I'm hearing from you that you look at all the variables, some of them not particularly pleasant or easy to deal with, but necessary. And I think that's probably is one of the key elements of why you have been so successful. This, this is fascinating. Elaine Rotenberg is a psychologist and clinical director at the Albert Jewish Family and Children's Services Levine Jewish Residential and Family Service. That's a long title. It is. <laughs> you can just call me Elaine. <laughs> okay, we will do that. And I thank you so much for this far too brief, but I think succinct overview of a program that is successful and from that the elements from which we can learn as other people develop their programs. Don't stop your good work and, and thank you very much for being with us. Thank you so much, Abby.